I ask you to keep your Bibles open. We'll keep, we'll keep looking back to this uh, passage of Scripture as we, as we study this together. I'm going to uh, reference a few more passages of Scripture, but I'll read those for you so um, you can just make note of those when we, when we get to those passages. Let's uh, pause for a minute again as we do and ask the Lord to give us help. Father, we, we're so thankful and grateful that we've had the, the privilege to be able to do what we've done today. We, we woke up this morning and we had the health and the strength and for some of us that that was a miracle uh, in and of itself to get ready and to be here to come to a campus a building that was constructed for the purpose of worship and discipleship and evangelism and to set aside whatever time is necessary to worship you and to look to your word and for our faith to be renewed and refreshed and some of us to find faith for the first time maybe today, to be in your presence through prayer and song and the opening of your precious word, to engage in this activity that is experienced here in the natural realm but is a supernatural thing to worship the holy living eternal God and to be in relationship with you through your son Jesus Christ so it's an absolutely remarkable thing this is not mundane routine activity and so father we in the next few moments my voice will, will be heard as we, as we try and we strive to understand and apply your precious word. But there's a greater voice that speaks today. And we need that voice. We need to hear your Holy Spirit applying the words of your divine inspired word into the depths of our hearts opening our minds and opening our ears and and plowing deep into our hearts the very truths and of God and of salvation and of Christ and of this life and of this world and of the life to come and so we ask, God, that your will would be accomplished. That you would remove every obstacle, every barricade, every distraction, every hindrance. And that you would freely work among us for your purpose and our good. And so we ask, Father that everything that is done, everything that is accomplished, that you would receive 
the glory and the praise for it all. In Christ's name, amen. Preparing his disciples for the unimaginable. You know, it was three weeks ago we were studying through this chapter together and we looked at the previous verses, verses 17 through 29. And in those verses, Jesus revealed to his disciples that one of them, one of the 12, one of them was going to betray him. Now, 11 of them were utterly shocked at such a revelation. Judas, on the other hand, he, he already knew what he was planning to do. It, it came as no surprise to him. He tried to act surprised as the other 11 were. But the rest of the disciples could never imagine in their wildest dreams that one of them who had lived with Jesus for three years and had been a part, had observed his miracles, had sometimes he had incorporated them in his miracles, had heard the message of truth over and over again, that one of them would, would betray Jesus. And so each of them began to take a turn asking, Is it I, Lord? Now, can you imagine sitting at that table as one of the 12 that Jesus selected to be with him through his ministry on the earth? Can you imagine sitting there at that table and Jesus announcing, one of you, which that means there's a, there's a chance it's you, one of you will betray me. And having to ask that question, is it I, Lord? Your heart is racing, your throat is dry, and, and what if Jesus answers you in the affirmative? What if it's you? So imagine sitting there, and, and everyone else is asking that question, so you're going to have to ask it. And what if you're like, you know, sixth or seventh down the list and... It doesn't seem like he's made any indication that any of them are going to betray him. And once that question leaves your lips, you look, you, you look for any verbal or, or nonverbal communication from Jesus that would somehow clear your name. I mean, you can't breathe. And so it is that, that all the disciples leave the Passover meal and, and the institution of the Lord's Supper that we looked at in those verses, and they really are still unaware of the identity of the betrayer. It's not really, they haven't really understood the things that Jesus communicated to Judas during that time. But they know this. They don't know who it is, but they know this. One of them, one of them, one of the twelve is horribly guilty and yet to their dismay they reach the mount of olives and jesus is not finished revealing their upcoming actions as it turns out they will all abandon jesus on that very night now, if you'll notice, at this point, there's no need to ask, is it I, Lord? He's just as said, you will all fall away because of me. 
Every single disciple will prove guilty of fleeing the Lord and therefore being undeserving of even being a disciple. They will abandon Christ. That's not a disciple. A disciple follows Christ. You see, not only will Jesus soon face his greatest test tonight, the disciples will face theirs as well. But the difference being, of course, Jesus will pass his test and they will fail. Now, there are many lessons in this text. We're going to look at three lessons in just a few minutes. There are many lessons in this text for us today. And to begin with, we could say this. There is no such thing as the perfect disciple. There is no such thing as the perfect disciple. There is not a single believer in this world today or who has ever existed in this world. There's not a single believer in this room who is perfect. But thanks be to God, although Jesus builds his kingdom with imperfect people, we serve a perfect and faithful and holy Savior. He has never failed a test, and he never will. So the first, that's the first lesson, but let's go on and see a few more things together. Number one, there's a lesson on the word and on the shepherd in these first few verses when Jesus announces that they will all fall away. He first says, you will all fall away because of me this night. Now, now Jesus is God, and, and they understand that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, They have professed this. So when Jesus says something like this, you will all fall away because of me this very night. When he says this, he being God and knowing all things and having all authority, when he says something, it is undeniably true. There's no need to question. There's no need to debate. There's no need to wonder. When Jesus predicts the future, it cannot be changed because he is God. As God in the flesh, he knows all things. But notice with me that Jesus doesn't appeal to his divine nature to substantiate this, his, his word, this word, this prophetic word. But rather, he appeals to the word of God. He appeals to scripture. He immediately says, you, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written... So he appeals then, he directs them to the word of God. He's quoting Zechariah 13 verse 7. But because Jesus does this as the living word of God refers them to the written word of God. There's there's an invaluable lesson here that Jesus is teaching us about the scripture. About God's holy written divine revelation. And it's simply this, Scripture will not be broken, and it will not fail. Scripture will not be broken, and it will not fail. It is true, it is unchangeable, it is eternal, it is God's divine self-disclosure. When God speaks, so shall it be. From all of eternity... Even as when time began, let there be light, 
and there was light. You will all fall away because of me this very night, and they all fall away because of Christ that very night. Now, that means because Scripture will not be broken, Scripture will not fail, it is God's holy, infallible Word, that means there are at least two monumental implications for us as we encounter the Word of God, as we read it, as we take it into our lives and into our hearts and souls. Two very monumental implications for us. And the first one would be this. We don't change God's Word. God's Word changes us. We can't loophole or tweak or caveat the Word of God to our liking or to please our flesh or to bend to our will. When we come across a doctrine or a teaching or a verse of Scripture that we don't like or, or that rubs us the, long, the wrong way or, or that doesn't fit with our previous understanding of, of God, of salvation, of Scripture, of life, of salvation, of eternity, it just doesn't fit with what we, our, our preconceptions, our presuppositions It doesn't fit with our way of thinking. It doesn't fit with our way of living. It doesn't fit with our view of life, our view of the world. When when we encounter the Word and it rubs us the wrong way, God's Word will not change. So our response is to humbly submit and embrace and begin to align our wills and align our thinking and align our lives to God's Word. And every single time we do that, every single time we are confronted with God's Word, convicted with God's Word, challenged with God's Word, and we have to humbly submit and respond and and incline to the Lord, every single time we do that, we find that God's will is not meant to deprive us. It's meant to awaken us. To awaken us to life, awaken us to salvation. So number one, we, we, we don't change God's word. God's word changes us. It will not be broken. It, it will not fail. But the second thing, the second monumental implication for us is that that means because God's word will not be broken, it will not fail. It is eternal. It is supernatural. That means we can stand on the promises of God because they will never change. They will never fail. And that that should give us tremendous hope and, and comfort and courage in this life and in this world. We can trust the character of God. We can take him at his word. We can can yield our everything to Christ and to what he has revealed to us in Scripture. We can hold on to every single promise as if it were directly spoken to us if we are in Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. For all the promises of God. 
How many are left out there? None. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, that is in Christ. That is why through him, through Christ, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Because all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. So if you are in Christ, if I am in Christ, that means every single promise in the book is yes, mine, whatever you want to say there. So when Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he's not talking about some, you know, some abstract concept of you. He's talking about his people. He's talking about you. That promise is yes for you. When Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He means you. You. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He means you. If you are in Christ, it's yes for you. Whoever believes in me shall never die. I am the resurrection and the life. That means you. How do you know, pastor? Because the word of God never changes and it never fails. So there's an invaluable lesson here for us concerning the word of God when Jesus says, this is what's going to happen because... It's written, and that doesn't change. Invaluable lesson concerning the Word of God. But there's also a tremendous invaluable lesson here for us concerning Jesus, the shepherd of our souls. Look what Jesus continues to say to them. He says, you will all fall away because of me this night. All of you will abandon me. All of you will flee. All of you will walk away. You will leave me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now look at verse 32. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. In other words, you're going to leave me, but I'm not done with you. After Jesus says, you will all fall away because of me this night, he, he, he goes on to say, but I'm, I'm going to go before you. After I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So you know what he's telling his disciples? You're going to fail me. But I'm not going to fail you. You're going to leave me. But I'm not going to leave you. Now that's how Jesus is preparing his disciples for the unimaginable. They can't change the fact they're going to fall away. But they also can't change the fact that he is a faithful shepherd. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. So here's the lesson about God's word and about the shepherd. God's word never fails, and our shepherd never fails. That's how Jesus is beginning to prepare his disciples for the absolute unimaginable. God's word never fails, and he never fails. And that's exactly what we need to be reminded of for the rest of our days in this life. That's how Jesus prepares us for whatever will come our way in this life. His word never fails, and he never fails. And that will be sufficient. That will be enough. God's grace will get us through. So that's the first lesson from these verses of Jesus prophesying all of the disciples' departure from him, but also of Peter's denial. So secondly, we see when we get to um, closing in on, on Jesus telling Peter about his denial, the second thing we see here from, from Peter is the right desire but the wrong response. The right desire but the wrong response. So we see in verse 33, Jesus has just made this uh, proclamation, this prophecy of what's going to happen. He has said it. He has appealed to the word of God that it's going to be fulfilled in this way. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter couldn't take this word. He, he couldn't take this word. He, he didn't like this word. It, it wasn't what he wanted to hear. It wasn't what he was thinking. It wasn't how he wanted things to go. So he set out to change God's word. He set out to create a loophole. He set out to add a caveat that would excuse him from the word all. I will. Now, now he had the right desire, right? I, I will never fall away. But he had the wrong response to the word of God. You see, instead of trying to convince Jesus that Jesus was wrong, Jesus had, had, had mistaken, Jesus hadn't read it, read it right, the right response would have been to have said, you know, I, I, I don't want to be that kind of person that falls away. I, I don't, I don't want to fall away. I, I want to be true. I want to be faithful. But if this is true, Lord, I, I repent. I'm sorry. The way to respond to God's word is to lean into it. Please forgive me. If I'm going to leave you tonight, please forgive me. When God's word calls out our sin, repentance is the only proper response. Not argue or debate or refusal or loophole or excuses, but just simply humble, submissive repentance. And Peter essentially throws the rest of the disciples under the bus, doesn't he? He says, oh, though they all fall away. Well, you know, if you're Matthew or one of them, you're saying, well, thank, thanks a lot, Peter. If they all fall away, I will never fall away. He can't imagine at this point 
Simon Peter can't imagine just how far he will fall away. You know what Peter's saying here? He's, he's saying, I'm going to do a lot better than them. I'm going to do far more than all of them. And Jesus corrects him, doesn't he? Jesus says, no, Peter, you're, you won't do far more. You'll do far worse. You will deny me three times. You won't just leave me tonight. You'll deny me. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You see, Peter had great confidence. It was just greatly misplaced. I, I will never fall away. In spite of what God's word says, I will never do that. The truth is we can't do anything good apart from God and his grace. Jesus would tell his disciples in the very next passage, and and it's our treasure verse for this month, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Simon Peter's the perfect example of this truth, isn't he? In and of ourselves, we are far weaker than we think. We cannot take a step or a breath without God. We often stumble, we often fail because we are so weak. And when we do stand, it is by God's grace alone. So he had the right desire, but the wrong response from misplaced confidence and misunderstanding of the unchangeable nature of the Word of God. And then lastly, we see the right pledge, but the wrong time. The right pledge, but at the wrong time. So so Peter kind of responds to Christ and he's kind of opposing what Christ has just said though they all fall away because of you I so he singles himself out I will never fall away and Jesus said to him truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows you will deny me three times and Peter said to him even if I must die with you I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now that kind of pledge to Christ for who he is and what he's done in our lives, that's exactly the right pledge for every believer. Even if I must die with you, Christ, I will not deny you. That's what it means when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. That's that's what it means. That's ultimately what it means. The Christian life is one of constantly dying to ourself, constantly dying to desires and passions that are against God, constantly dying to our own wills and submitting to, to God's will over our lives. The Christian life is one of constantly dying to self and dying to this world. And ultimately, to be willing to lay down our lives for Christ and the gospel, just as he laid down his life for us. That's what it means when Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, that is, if you're going to go to heaven with me, if you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. That's what it means. 
So this is exactly the right uh, pledge. And Christians throughout history, ever, ever since Christ and throughout the world, even today, even in these very moments, Christians are laying down their lives or at least being willing to lay down their lives. Many are faced, even in recent days, our, our, our brother in, in Southeast Asia that we have supported, one of his students gave his life for the Lord. Many are faced with living up to that pledge and giving their lives. But you see, because Jesus had just spoken this word to Simon Peter, it was the right pledge, it was the wrong time. Jesus had already spoken the truth about what he would soon do. He, he would actually, instead of fulfilling this pledge in the immediate in his life, even if, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So first, he, first he, he rejected the word of God that he's going to fall away. Oh, no, I'm not going to fall away. Jesus says, yeah, you're going to do more than that. You're going to deny me three. Oh, no, I'm not going to deny you. He's, he's in total rejection of God's word. He will not accept God's word. And yet, this is exactly what happens, isn't it? He runs as the other disciples run, and he denies Christ three times before the rooster crows. So what is he to do? Well, Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And that's what happened with Simon Peter. See, he was, after he ran from Christ, after he denied Christ, he was, he was still living. Goodness and mercy was still after him. The mercy and grace of God, and by the mercy and grace of God, the right time for that right pledge will come for Simon Peter. After the resurrection, Jesus will restore Peter to fellowship with him. He will restore him to ministry with the disciples. He will restore him to fellowship. And it's then that Jesus essentially will tell Peter, in John's gospel, he reveals this, that Jesus essentially tells Peter, you know, one day you are going to make good on that pledge. It just wasn't the right time. Numerous church fathers and early church historians attest to the fact that Peter was crucified in Rome in A.D. 64 under the persecution of Nero for his faith because of Christ. So bringing, bringing all of this together, all, all of these lessons together, you, you see, when, when Jesus was crucified and buried, Peter thought that he was finished. He thought that he was worthless. After all, he was the one that made the big pledge. He was the one that, that said he would never fall away. He would never deny him. And that's exactly what he did. So the only thing he could figure is to go back to fishing, go back to his old way, go back to his old life. He's already messed up this following Christ thing. He, he's already forfeited eternal life and salvation. Surely there's nothing left for him to do with Jesus or for Jesus. 
That was Peter's perspective. But from God's perspective, as long as Peter was living, there was still plenty of time and still plenty to do. And so we need to bring that home in our lives this morning. For every one of us sitting in this room today, you may have run from Christ, but he hasn't run from you. You may have cowered away and not spoken and not taken a stand when it was time for you to take a stand. You may have slid back to your old life. You may have adopted the world's view because it's a lot more comfortable to go with the world than to go with Christ. It's a lot more comfortable to run with the rest of them than to stand with Christ. You may have done what you never dreamed, what you never imagined you would ever do, and you've already done it. But because of the fact you are sitting here this morning still living and breathing today, there is mercy and grace sufficient for you. You may have convinced yourself that you are worthless now and there's nothing left for you to do for Jesus. But he is here today. And he is ready to restore you just as he did Simon Peter. And there is plenty of time and there is plenty to do. Even if you have denied him, in your words, in your actions, in your striving to be accepted and known and to be a part of something, you have denied Christ. He will, if you will come to him today, you will find him the same way Simon Peter found him. A faithful shepherd. Trust him today. So much mercy and grace awaits. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this tremendous reminder through the, this interaction with Simon Peter and the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we look at Simon Peter's life, and, and, and our first reaction is, man, oh man, how in the world could, could he do something like that? How in the world could he say something like that? But if we stop for a few moments, and we're honest, Lord, we begin to see a lot of ourselves in the story of Simon Peter. We've said things we shouldn't have said. We've done things we shouldn't have done. We've doubted your word. We've opposed your word. We've denied you at times. We're more like him than we're unlike him. So thanks be to God, the Savior never changes. You are the same faithful shepherd that after Simon Peter denied you, you walked out on that shore and asked him three times, do you love me? You are that same faithful shepherd walking up and down the aisles of this church this morning through the Spirit, through your word, 
asking all of us who have at some point denied you, abandoned you, and now think that it's completely over, and asking us, do you love me? So, Father, in these very next few moments, as we respond to your word, if we have never truly trusted Christ, may we run to him today. We've run from him enough. May we run to him. And if we, as believers in our faith, have grown silent or grown fearful or turned away in any step at all, may we turn back to Christ, find him faithful. Lord, do a tremendous work in our hearts, in this your church, and we give you the glory for it all in Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.